Previously on House of Fantots, after making sure Wallace and Simone made it to their respective events in Seattle, Cassandra and the Paladin women visit an absurdist voodoo priestess who gives them a reading using a very unusual deck. The cards make some oddly specific predictions. I woke from a dream about being on a flight from Vienna to Berlin. The sound of Wallace and Simone having a conversation about world geography did little to help me orient myself. Simone was saying something was almost as weird as discovering her cell phone's weather app says she's in Bandung, Jakarta. Wallace replied that she could do her one better. Her weather app says she's in Xanadu. We weren't in a mythical utopia or Jakarta. We were in the Abuela Express pulling up to the House of Fantods in Eureka after a long drive down the coast from Seattle. Obviously, Wallace and Simone's cell phones were just as unreliable as the rest of ours while riding in a mobile Faraday cage. But surely Simone had to know there's no such place as Bandung, Jakarta. They're two separate cities in Indonesia. It would be a while before I had the time to consider the possibility that there may be a connection between Wallace's weather app and Bill Gates. Wasn't his estate named Xanadu? As for Simone's curious global positioning, I was about to tell her about my flight from Vienna to Berlin when my eyes followed her gaze to the weirdness she was talking about. The coroner's van was parked in front of the house. Someone in a body bag was being loaded into it. Actually, two someones. And the yard was littered with a handful of Humboldt County's finest. Two of them appeared to be in distress as paramedics administered first aid. The coroner didn't look much better, but was toughing it out. I guess handling death as much as coroners do makes a man tough. I spotted Stephen standing on the porch with an oddly detached look on his face. He gave the appearance of watching what was happening, but it was obvious he was a thousand miles away. Xanadu or Jakarta? Wherever he was, he didn't seem to be suffering the way the two deputies were. All he could say when I approached him was, both Betty and Emery were dead. The story we pieced together was he'd let himself in the back door to use the laundry room in the basement and almost stumbled over Emery's body where he lay on the kitchen floor, the phone clutched in his hand. It was as if he'd been trying to call for help as Betty sat dying in her chair at the kitchen table. The coroner's best guess was that the cause of death was most likely heart attack. Two perfectly timed, simultaneous heart attacks. He'd know more after the autopsy, but dismissed the possibility that it was poisoning. 
even though neither he nor the two deputies who arrived on the scene first had been able to stay in the house to actually look for anything suspicious. The moment they entered, they were struck with severe vertigo, along with ringing in the ears and fierce head pain. When Marina confided in me that it didn't feel to her like they'd been poisoned or had conveniently simultaneous heart attacks, I had a hunch she was probably right. I'll take the word of a powerful empath over that of a man in a Humboldt County Sheriff Department uniform any day. Do you have any idea how many times those guys have been investigated by the feds for corruption? Pro tip. If you don't want your reputation tarnished to the point that it follows you like a bad smell, don't engage in, cover up, or turn a blind eye to corruption. It's that simple. If ever there was a time for agents Hasselhoff and Anderson to show up, it was now. If for no other reason than the optics. Those two couldn't investigate their way out of an illegal lemonade stand, not even a haunted lemonade stand. Their presence would actually make the sheriff deputies look better. For now, there is only one thing that truly matters, the foster children in Betty and Emery's care. Will Children's Protective Services be showing up with their van to load the corpses of what's left of Wallace and Simone's childhoods and take them to wherever childhoods go when they die a premature death? Hopefully there was time to secure guardianship of them before that happened. Surely between me and Abuela Paladin, one of us would make a suitable guardian. Of course, with the choices being either a woman who runs a mobile escort service or the woman she'd recently sprung from a mental ward, it's a toss-up which one of us would be found more suitable. But then again, if the house is part of an estate that's been left to Betty and Emery's heirs, the issue would be where, not who. I sincerely doubt Wallace and Simone will be allowed to stay in the House of Phantods. Which would bring us back to geography. Glancing up at Stephen standing on the porch, a thought hit me. Why didn't he get the same vertigo and head pain from entering the house that the deputies did? One minute I'm in Xanadu wondering where I'll hear about who won the poetry slam competition, and the next I'm wondering where I'll be sleeping tonight. Abuela tried to soothe Wallace's frayed nerves by reminding her that what the sheriff's department doesn't know won't hurt them, and in this case they don't know that Wallace and Simone were Betty and Emery's foster daughters. The longer we can keep a lid on that little factoid, the longer we'll have to figure out our game plan. For now, the plan is to proceed as if the foster parents were conveniently in the background, invisibly present, like the entities in this house. As the coroner's van and the last of the deputies pulled down the driveway and disappeared from sight, 
a dragonfly darted out of the rhododendrons and made its way to Stephen, who swatted it nervously as he headed toward the carriage house. It brought me right back to the events that had brought me to this house, and for a moment I couldn't help but smile at the random synchronicities all along the way. Were any of them actually random? The three of us grabbed our overnight bags from the bus and headed for the front door. The paladin women had plans for a much-needed nap, which would give us time to unpack and put together a home-cooked meal for all of us. We were talking softly about it as first Wallace, then Simone, walked through the doorway ahead of me. As my foot just began to cross the threshold, both girls simultaneously grabbed their heads and gasped in pain, just as it was hitting me. A dizzying pain and mind-splitting ringing in my ears forced me back out onto the porch, and I screamed for both of them to get out of the house. It all happened so fast, and of all things to be focusing on, the carcass of a dragonfly laying on the welcome mat seemed the least of our concerns. Yet it hit me like a train. Something was terribly wrong with this picture. Movement down the driveway caught my eye, and for a moment I could swear it was the tall man stepping back into the rhododendron. Abuela Paladin stood just inside the door to the bus and smiled grimly as the three of us returned with our bags. It looks like you three were clever enough to figure out that the front porch is a safe zone, she said, which is good because we can log into the Wi-Fi from there and see what we can learn about Bandung, Jakarta, and the connection to airline flights from Vienna to Berlin. Xanadu, Wallace said. Don't forget Xanadu. I had no idea what any of that had to do with what was seeming more and more like some kind of ongoing attack at the House of Phantods, but was grateful that the Abuela Express was here to give us shelter from the storm. We agreed to pool our resources and make a meal from what road food we had on us. Spreading a picnic blanket out on the front lawn, we sat and opened packets of almonds and string cheese and dried fruit while we puzzled over what more and more we were certain was a psychic attack on the House of Phantods, and whether Betty and Emery's mysterious deaths had anything to do with it. Can ghosts actually kill people? Did any of us know of paranormal events that resulted in a visit from the coroner? I was about to point out that it was hard to imagine the house itself being under attack, since Stephen didn't seem to be adversely affected by it, when he stepped through the front door with a tray of sandwiches. How did you do that? Wallace said as he set the tray down on the picnic blanket. With a knife and a jar of peanut butter, he replied. His silver skull ring flashed in the sun, and the deja vu hit me like a kick in the gut. He was trying too hard to be nonchalant, to act as if this was an ordinary event on an ordinary day. And when our eyes met, 
We both knew it was all an act. Between bites, Simone filled him in on some of the ideas we'd had for how to proceed from here with securing housing for her and Wallace now that the Bremers were gone. As for his tenancy in the carriage house apartment, that was still a dangling thread. As if on cue, he reached into his jacket's inner pocket and pulled out an oversized, sepia-toned envelope with a single word in vintage script on the outside of it. Deed. He said he spotted it on the desk in the study, and I wondered what he was even doing in the study. Did he have a candlestick? Or was that in the library? Come on, we've all seen Clue. You got to admit, what he was saying did sound scripted. Speaking of script, I couldn't help but notice the script used for the name of the person listed on the deed didn't actually match any of the other lettering. That person is Wallace Whitman. Our very own Lady Poe, the Whitman of Goth, was on the deed to the House of Phantods. Marina and her mother looked at each other and then at me. As our eyes met, I thought of that tarot reading in Seattle and her prediction. It had something to do with a forged deed. There was only one problem. Wallace wasn't old enough to legally claim the house, and even if she was, it didn't seem willing to let anyone enter it, except Stephen, the man with the silver skull ring on his pinky finger. No, we weren't going to crash on the floor of Stephen's apartment above the carriage house, thank you very much. We didn't need him overhearing our brainstorming session. The fog was rolling in and would soon drench the lawn, so camping out under the stars was out of the question as well. Besides, what stars? So we agreed we were all back on the bus again, but not before sitting on the front porch of the House of Phantods with our cell phones accessing the Wi-Fi. We were trying to learn what we could about the cryptic clues we'd been given involving airline flights, Berlin and Vienna, Bandung, Jakarta, and the thing about Xanadu. Marina was still certain they were all connected to what's going on with the house. I'm learning to never question the instincts of a paladin woman. They know their shit. Wallace had no problem locating information about Xanadu. It was a movie about the Muse Terpsichore helping a man realize his creative dream. It was a box office flop despite the music and breathtaking close-ups of Olivia Newton-John. So her search continued. Simone quickly connected Berlin and Vienna to recent occurrences of what more and more media outlets are calling Havana Syndrome. As usual, the mysterious affliction is occurring exclusively among diplomats and intelligence personnel in Vienna, and more recently, Berlin. The affliction involves severe vertigo, including tinnitus and a near-lethal level of pain. 
But the connection between Bandung and Jakarta eluded all of us until Marina had a sudden flash of genius and looked up the manifest for the airline that crashed shortly after takeoff from Jakarta in January. What was that going to tell us? Wasn't that crash blamed on the airplane manufacturer? There really wasn't any point in asking. It was Marina. After close to an hour of checking the names on the manifest, she had a list of victims who were from Bandung. One in particular was a professor of software engineering at Bandung Institute of Technology. It didn't take much sleuthing from there to find out he'd been designing a software program to block the harmful effects of directed energy weapons on humans. He'd seen the potential for its abuse since first hearing about the mysterious attacks on U.S. diplomats back in 2017. But long before that, he'd been drawn to the claims made by ordinary people that similar attacks were happening to them. They call themselves targeted individuals and are all over the Internet. His theory was that targeted individuals had been used around the world as guinea pigs for over a decade as the use of directed energy weapons was being perfected. Like the Tuskegee syphilis experiments here in the U.S. back in the day. You know that day, right? It's the one where the victims were seen as less than human, so it didn't matter what was done to them in the name of science over a 40-year span of time. And while Marina found nothing to explain just why the software engineer thought China was behind the directed energy attacks, she was certain he was right. China has the satellites, technology, and most advanced cyber warfare capabilities in the world. That and their long history of human rights violations were all she needed to be certain he was right in his belief that China was behind it. Tuskegee 2.0, only instead of being done on black men by Americans who like to pretend they care about human rights, it's being done on all kinds of people by Chinese who don't bother pretending they care. Was it possible China knew what the software engineer from Bandung was doing and used the directed energy weapon on the pilot and co-pilot of that airline when they reached 10,000 feet, causing both to lose consciousness? Not lose consciousness, Marina corrected me. Die of aneurysms. I hadn't said it out loud. I really wish she would stop doing that. And I really wish they would stop using directed energy weapons on people, she said, whoever they are. You don't think they would take down a plane full of innocent people just to get rid of one man, do you? I mean, come on, with all the ways that exist to destroy a person's credibility, why bother? Why not just use the weapon on him and make him seem crazy, like they've done with all the targeted individuals? I may be nothing more than a nihilist with a sense of humor, but I really hate thinking the worst of people. Not Marina. Good question, she replied. Why didn't they just do what I'm pretty sure they did to Betty and Emery? Give him an aneurysm. 
The moment she said it, the door to the house of Fantots swung open. Does this mean we won't be sleeping on the bus tonight? Simone asked nervously. Because if we're taking a vote, I, for one, am not sure sleeping in the house is a good idea. I think the better question is who or what wants us to know about the connection between Berlin, Vienna, Bandung, and Jakarta. Wait, I just remembered something, Wallace said. That poem by Coleridge, Kubla Khan. It's about Xanadu, which is a UNESCO heritage site in China. So that's the thing about Xanadu. Thank you.